The idea of this podcast is simple, discipleship. We want to bring the gospel message about how to interact with your coworkers, your culture, your friends, everyone around you in a biblical way, which is, in essence, discipleship. What did Jesus do when he came to this earth? He took the devil's stuff. The Bible actually teaches that the world is becoming increasingly covered with the knowledge of the glory of God. That should change everything in the mind of a Christian. Instead of thinking about all the ways society is failing, we should think about all the ways society must be, as Psalm 1101 tells us, put underneath the feet of Jesus in victory. The Rebel Podcast. We would be honored if you would join us. Welcome back to the Rebel Podcast. As always, you got P Nate and the Weak Link Pooty. I've decided that's my new nickname. Can't be the weaker vessel. I'm the Weak Link. Today, we are very happy because we have a special guest, Pastor Steve Richardson from Faith Presbyterian in Tilsonburg, Ontario, um, who is one of the faithful pastors who are rem- defying tyranny and staying open during these times. Hopefully, nobody from the OPP is listening. Um, but uh, he is, he is here with us. We are members of the Fight, Laugh, Feast Canada Network. Um, you can find us on their uh, podcast stream, but also on our own podcast stream, the Rebel uh, Network. Um, Nate, why don't you introduce our guest? Yeah, so uh, with, with us right here in studio is uh, Pastor Steve Richardson. And uh, why don't you say hi? Hi. <laughs> Steve and I uh, just recently, I guess, got to know each other through the Reopen Ontario Churches efforts, the Niagara Declaration, the uh, Liberty Coalition. Steve and I were uh, some of the few pastors that were open and, and kind of fighting against this stuff. So Steve and I have only known each other maybe about three or four months, but have come to appreciate each other's ministry, come to appreciate what we're doing. And uh, you blog and you've you've blogged quite a bit through all of this. So why don't you tell people kind of about your church a little bit, about your, your time there and uh, about your blog and where they can find it. Yeah, so uh, we obviously, um, uh, pastors who gather their churches these days find each other. Yep. <laughs> and uh, it's been a real blessing. I mean, we, we get to together and uh, I think the bond is, is immediate and obvious. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, we're in Tilsonburg. Uh, it's a, a, we're a part of the uh, Associate Reformed Presbyterian Church. Blog is uh, canadarevival.blogspot.ca. So that's a little bit of a mouthful. We're not far from, uh, from your congregation, but we're also open and meeting so far. I'm thankful for the Lord's mercy in that. Yeah, in, in a lot of ways, uh, Steve and I have a lot in common because we're we're watching a lot of our good friends getting hammered in the news, yeah. friends out in Calgary spending nights in jail, and Steve and I are here enjoying a little bit of relative peace. I mean, we get hassled and visited by the police often, but we haven't taken the same beating as some of our friends, so we, we find ourselves in a bit of a, a refuge area here. Yeah. We're thankful for that, but certainly trying to be a bit of a, a help to some of our brothers who are being persecuted a little bit more strongly. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, both of us probably feel like when we hear of uh, what is happening and what's going on elsewhere that we want to jump in and be part of the fight. And so I guess one way we can do that is writing and keeping our churches open. That's right. Podcasting and just trying to get the word out there. 
What we wanted to talk about is uh, both Steve and I saw this article in uh, the Calgary Herald. So for those of you who have been sort of trying to follow along with everything that's happening in Canada, Alberta, which has otherwise been known as sort of the most conservative province in in Canada, has really sort of been ground zero for the persecution of the church right now, which is pretty amazing to me. I, I say it to my American friends all the time, like this happening in Alberta would be like this happening in Texas for them, yeah. right? In the Calgary Herald, um, what you have is a editorial by a girl named uh, Alicia Corbella, I think is how you pronounce that. She wrote this article. But what caught our attention is that Pastor Ray Matheson, who is a pastor at uh, First Alliance Church in Calgary, was the one who was sort of interviewed. And what he was asked was what he thought about these pastors who are defying COVID measures. And so it caught my attention, obviously, because I'm part of the Alliance, the Christian Missionary Alliance. And so I, uh, I, I felt the, the need to respond. But in many ways, this article is not unique. No. Uh, there's a lot of the arguments that we're going to kind of pick apart in, in this article and some of the things that you're going to hear us say is pretty standard in terms of all the evangelical leaders who are condemning those of us who are trying to resist right now, wouldn't you say? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So this article, it's called Defiant Alberta Pastors Defame and Blaspheme Jesus with Their Actions. I mean, it doesn't, doesn't get any stronger than that. Those aren't the words of Pastor Ray Matheson. Uh, those are the words of the author, uh, Miss Corbella. But basically uh, what she is talking about, she kind of summarizes what's gone on with Pastor James Coates, who was eventually arrested. But I want you to get a sense of the language she uses. So it starts off, she says, there are about 3,100 churches in Alberta, and pretty much the only ones we hear about are the two that have repeatedly defied public health orders. First, there was Edmonton Area Grace Life Church. Its pastor, James Coates, was eventually arrested and jailed for refusing to adhere to COVID-19 health measures. The measures required that no more than 15% of the church's building capacity be filled with people and everyone is to be masked. Eventually, authorities were forced to put up an unscalable fence around the Spruce Grove building to prevent the defiance from taking place. Neighbors of the church say that they are being verbally accosted by the parishioners. Now, I just want to pause there because this is the opening paragraph of the article. And immediately what we have to be thinking about as as thinking people is, is this journalist trying to be objective or is she trying to paint a picture for you? Is Is she trying to create a narrative? And clearly in the very first, these are not just bare facts. The fact that she uh, says there's a unscalable fence, right, insinuates that their people would have climbed over top of it if they could, right? (laughs) That's right. It says the fence was put up to prevent defiance from taking place. So again, she's painting the the parishioners of Grace Life Church as these sort of rebellious, you know, lawless individuals. And then she she adds this sentence, neighbors of the church say they were being verbally accosted by the parishioners. Now there's no citations, there's no no proof, there's just... This is just a hearsay. I'm sure there'd be plenty of people from Grace Life who would say that they're being accosted by the neighbors, but she decided to include one side of it. Yeah, I think they probably feel, uh, maybe they feel accosted by the very fact that there's Christians uh, walking by without masks. I mean, that's the world (laughs) we're living in right now. People are are feeling uh, fragile. And uh, just the fact that they're gathering, people feel their lives are in jeopardy. That's, and that's, we've been fed that lie. Absolutely. It's interesting. I I was talking about this with uh, somebody at church last week where 
you know, we're trying to understand what's the obsession that other people have with making others wear masks and distance and follow the same rules they are. And I think what it comes down to ultimately is, you know, Christians, Christians have a clean conscience before the Lord. Everybody else has a guilty conscience, right? And so when they're told to separate, to distance, to mask up, the guilty conscience in them immediately has them comply because they they already feel guilty, right? Christians, we have no guilt. There's no condemnation. We can Mm. walk around maskless and not feel bad about it, not feel guilty about it because we know that we've been pardoned. Nate, I think you're spot on. Uh, The reason everybody is pushing masks and backs is that uh, the narrative of this whole thing is that if you don't if you don't wear these things, it's going to be killing grandma. Um, this is all about shame and guilt. Um, and we're being guilted and shamed into doing this. Um, seeing Christians who don't wear the mask, it causes offense because people see our defiance and think internally. I think subconsciously they know that they shouldn't be doing this. Um, and they have guilt about that. Um, this is basically the wor- world's worst case of peer pressure, which up until to 2020 has always been thought of as a bad thing. But now it's become a virtue. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I don't even think part of the, the problem here is that um, we have a, a nation that is under judgment. And part of that judgment is uh, the depravity of the mind. Uh, people are no longer able to think clearly. Yeah. The lack of common sense everywhere. Uh, it shouldn't surprise us if the, uh, the, the Christian body would have more common sense than, uh, than the rest. And so, I mean, yeah, we're seeing, we're seeing people who just are, have an inability to think. Absolutely. Well, and I think it's in, in Exodus, it's probably in Exodus and Deuteronomy where talking about covenant curses for those who break covenant with God, that confusion is one of the judgments that God yeah. sends, right? And so we're seeing a, a nation confused, Absolutely. right? And this is, we, we just started this by talking about, uh, there's an announcement that's supposed to come out later today where, you know, Premier Ford is going to maybe walk back some of his, his stuff or maybe bring a heavier hand of restrictions. We don't know yet, but either way, we we're just talking about the inconsistencies. Outdoor playgrounds open, outdoor skate parks closed, right? Like Frisbee golf open, real golf, you know, closed. Like it's just, it's silly, because there's no consistency to it, but yeah, no rhyme or reason. No. So in this article, um, the author goes on to talk about uh, Pastor Arthur Pulowski uh, in Calgary, who is uh, recently also arrested. And she summarizes. So she talks about James Coates. She talks about Arthur. And then she says, in short, I think their harsh and allegedly illegal behavior is blasphemous against Jesus and damages the church far more than any COVID restrictions ever could. Now, we, we want to primarily deal with the words that are coming from Pastor Ray Matheson later, but just for this editorial, like what would you say to those words from the author, uh, Miss Corbella? Well, I mean, I think uh, for one thing, it's uh, she misunderstands Christianity. And actually, Ray Matheson said something similar. So the subheading reads, I feel very sad about what these pastors are doing. I think it gives Christianity a bad name. Mm-hmm. And that was Pastor Ray Matheson. Similar uh, kind of a take on it. But they seem to have forgotten that Christianity has a good name when it's at its lowest. Yeah. I mean, the church, if we're going to be like Christ, Jesus said very clearly, and I'll just quote from the Gospel of John. He says, if you were of the world, the world would love his own. But because you are not of the world, but I've chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. We are told to expect that the world, as they hated Jesus, would, would hate Christians. The idea that the world is not happy with us. Well, that's usually a good sign. If the world isn't pleased, 
then we're all probably on the right track. Well, it's just crazy to me that that this has become sort of the benchmark of faithfulness right now. Oh, I, we hear this from all these yeah. pastors is like, we're damaging our witness. The outside world is watching us. And like, as if that's ever supposed to have been a motivator in how we enact our obedience. Like Absolutely. It, it's, right? it's mistaking. Is it not mistaking witness for a popularity contest rather than witness being proclamation of the gospel That's of the right. glory of Christ? That's right. Accompanied by holiness and holiness to the carnal man is not very attractive. Right. The, I mean, the gospel is a stumbling block, right? It's foolishness if, to those who are, are dying, right? Absolutely. Paul says that we will constantly smell like life to those who are destined for eternal life and like death to those who are perishing, right? Like there's only these two categories. Absolutely. I even think of, of Jesus' words when he says, actually be weary when all men speak well of you, right? Like we should actually, so for all the pastors who are sitting there saying, oh, these guys are giving Christianity bad name like our church has a really good reputation in the community i would actually say jesus would say to you like be weary like that's not a good thing Mm. you should think twice if people have a high opinion of you if if the outside world is looking at you and has a high opinion of you and your church you might want to rethink things absolutely yeah 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 i've been thinking about that a lot too the verse woe to you when everyone speaks well of you i've been teaching through mark um one of these and one thing that keeps standing out is that the pharisees um, were well liked to the world. They had great reputations to everybody around them, um, but we know that their hearts were far from from God. Um, now, be- before I get flamed here, I don't want. I'm not saying that every pastor who is closed is is a Pharisee, but I do think it is something we as Christians need to wrestle with that we are called to be above reproach, um, but we are called to be well liked. The gospel is an offensive thing. Um, we can't be offensive, but the gospel is meant to offend. Yeah, I think you're right, Chris. It's interesting that, I mean, you brought up the Pharisees, so I'll run with it. <laughs> but uh, I think the the Pharisees were condemned by Jesus because they kept the outside of the cup clean and they didn't clean the inside of the cup. And I think that's what you're, that when your primary concern is what the unbelieving world that is watching you is going to think, you're concerned about what the outside of the cup looks like, not the inside, Right. And so I think that's the fallacy that a lot of these people make. You brought up something else that she said in the article just before we get to the words of of the actual pastor, Ray Matheson. The author said, you know, Jesus didn't call his torturers names like Nazis and Gestapo. He said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. I do want to address that a little bit. What are your thoughts, Steve, on those who would say that the rhetoric is maybe too strong with those of us who have taken the, the role of resistance? Yeah, well, I mean, I think there's a couple of different uh, issues. One is the difference between uh, my conduct when the police come for me and my conduct when the police come for a brother. Right. So uh, we saw that with Tim Stevens, that when they came for him, he, he meekly went. Uh, there was no fight. Uh, there was no argument. He didn't hurl insults. Yeah. James Coates turned himself in, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. So that's, I think, the model for us. Is it fair to use rhetoric when the police are um, exercising, um, well, they're, they're arresting people unlawfully? I think if we can't say hard things then, when can we say them? We're seeing now, maybe sometimes people resist the, um, the comparisons. They feel they're a little bit strong. But at a certain point, we do have to draw some comparisons and say that there, we're seeing right now sworn officers of the law breaking their own oaths and doing them in the name of I'm told to, I have to do what I'm told. Uh, so whether it's lawful or not, isn't even brought into question. And that's the, that's the concern. So I think the rhetoric is needed. 
you know, you, you brought it up and I know this is, is sometimes uh, everybody always gets accused of going too quickly to the Nazi Germany illusion, but that is called the Nuremberg defense for a reason, right? Yeah. I was just following orders. I was just doing my job. That's where that phrase was coined because there was a whole lot of people doing detestable things saying, I'm just following orders. I'm just doing my job. I was right. just following the law at the time, you know? And the, the other thing that it made me think of is, yeah, she's absolutely right that Jesus looked down at, at his torturers and said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they're doing. But let's not forget that just a few chapters later in the book of Acts, Peter stands up and says, you killed Jesus, right? Like he says, he, he died by your lawless hands. That's so right. he, like he didn't pull any punches talking to the people of Israel. And let's be honest, they weren't the ones driving the nails into his hands, but he placed the blood on their hands. And again, what did Jesus do to the Pharisees just a few chapters before he was uh, crucified? In, in uh, Matthew thir- uh, 23, he's got very strong words. He calls them a brood of vipers, yeah. whitewashed tombs, right? He says that all the uh, the blood of all the prophets prophets is going to come down on that the heads of that generation. So there is strong biblical language. You think about when Paul is talking to the Judaizers again, and, and you said this, there's a difference when they're coming for you or they're coming for your flock. Mm-hmm. You know, when Paul was speaking against the Judaizers who were stirring up trouble in his church in Galatia, people that he loved, a church that he planted, he said, I wish that they would just don't stop at circumcision, just cut their whole thing off, right? Like, I mean, he he did use this strong language, strong rhetoric, and it, it is for a time. And I do think that as pastors who are resisting, what we have to make sure we're doing is, like you said, be a brother approach, Chris. And like you said, Steve, you know, we can be humble when they're coming for us, but we have to fight off. We have to protect our flock. Yeah, and we that's, need, that's we the... Need. We need men. I mean, the thing is, is that, uh, I mean, the idea, and you get the sense through the article that this, this idea of Jesus as this very soft, almost effeminate man, and not the one who formed a whip, took the time in his anger to make a whip and use yeah. it, uh, turning over tables. I think yeah. the, the, the skewed view is this very uh, soft and gentle, mild-mannered, never angry, never stern, it is completely unbiblical. Yeah. But there's no question that there's going to be a difference and there ought to be a difference between what happens when they come to arrest me and when they come for my children or for the congregation, I'm going to fight big time, big time. Okay. So now we're going to get into the words uh, of uh, pastor Ray Matheson. I just want to start by saying I had a wonderful conversation with pastor Ray just yesterday when we knew we were going to be uh, tackling this article. I challenged him in an email, asked him to call. He called me. We had a personal conversation. So I just want to say that anybody who might accuse us of not doing the Matthew 18 thing, we have, mm. we've talked to him. Uh, we, we are going to disagree on this. He sees the role and the responsibility of faithful shepherds right now differently than we do. But that's said, I'm going to be respectful to Ray and just say that he had the courage to talk to me about his article and defend some of the things. And I did tell him that I thought he needed to repent and retract what he said. And I'll continue to pray that the spirit convicts him to do that. But here are some of the things he said. So first off, she said she called uh, Reverend Ray Matheson, who she thinks is very Jesus-like. And he said, I feel very sad about what these pastors are doing. I think it gives Christianity a bad name. Now you've addressed that already, Steve. Um, Does she know Jesus, this woman? Because she said he's like Jesus. I'm just wondering if she'd recognize Jesus. I don't know. I don't know if she goes to his church. She obviously knows him. I don't know the relationship between the two of them. Later on, remember, she says something about excruciating, meaning from the cross. And like she throws in a couple tidbits that make you think that she at least 
believes she knows something about Christianity. I don't know how well she does. So one of the first arguments she gets to uh, that he, Pastor Ray Matheson, gets to is he says he was quick to point out that there are times when the church must rebel against authorities, just as Reverend Martin Luther King Jr. did as he led the civil rights movement, or how William Wilberforce did in his long fight to abolish slave trade in, in the British Empire. Now, you had some thoughts on this that I thought were really good, Steve. What are your thoughts on him saying, okay, well, there is a time to rebel and then use MLK and William Wilberforce as his examples? Yeah, it was, I thought it was telling. It was startling to me because, um, so we're going to allow some room, a little bit of latitude for the, maybe the possibility of some civil disobedience, but we'll cite Martin Luther King Jr. and William Wilberforce. Not anyone from Fox's Book of Martyrs, not uh, the Covenanters, not John Bunyan, which is telling. Mm-hmm. Who benefited from the efforts of, say, a Martin Luther Jr. King? It was man. Who benefited from what John Bunyan did, his defiance? Jesus Christ. Christ did, yeah. And I think that's why, um, I, sadly, I think that what's this shows, again, the man-centered way in which these people are thinking. I don't want to put words into his mouth. I, I don't know what's in his heart. But I think that when you're appealing to a secular audience, they're going to get behind Martin Luther King, but then they're going to get behind him for a reason. He's helping man. And, and what's COVID, what's the whole, the whole messaging? It's how can we help man? And when pastors and congregations come along and say, well, wait a minute, what about Jesus? That's just not going to resonate with anyone but a Christian. What's he worth? Right. Right. Yeah. And I guess that's what uh, this next part gets into. Ray says, if the authorities were asking us to deny our faith or go against the principles of scripture, we would need to obey God rather than the government. This, however, has not been the case in the current situation. Health restrictions placed on us still allow us to worship God and to follow the essentials of our faith. Hmm. I see this way too much, Steve. Like, in all honesty, the question of whether or not we are to practice the one, one another's of Scripture, meet weekly, practice the Lord's Supper, baptize new believers, these are settled issues. Where were all these pastors, you know, two years ago saying, yeah, I don't know how essential it is for the whole church to get together, right? Jonathan Lehman, for goodness sakes, wrote, you know, that book, One Assembly, a month or two before he closed his church and went to multiple services because the government told him to. Like, this just is baffling to me. There seems to be a failure to recognize the authority of Jesus Christ over his church. That's right. That's what it ultimately comes down to, doesn't it? Yeah. Well, these people can, and there's many points that just to me seem uh, confusing. For example, the, it's the, the uh, author, I believe, raises the, the issue of buildings. Well, they ha- they, what's the big deal about buildings? Oh, we never said it was about buildings. It's about gathering. Right. Uh, so there's a few, I think, red herrings in there. In terms of like not asking us to go against anything in scripture, I think I want to get some of these pastors together and just say, are you commanded to lay hands on the sick and to pray for them? Right. Are you commanded to be hospitable? Are you commanded to greet one another with a holy kiss? Are you commanded? Like these are commands in scripture and none of them have a caveat, right? None of them say lay hands on the sick unless it's a respiratory illness that's transmitted fairly quickly through personal contact. Yeah, and absolutely. And back to the issue with uh, Martin Luther King and man-centeredness, maybe uh, the argument we're continuing to hear is, well, we've got to keep the fifth commandment. We want to honor those in authority over us, and we want to keep the sixth commandment, uh, which we're being told we are because we're saving lives. Right. Uh, what about the first four commandments? What about the requirement to worship God? I mean, the, the essence of the, the great commandment, we're called to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We can't do that apart from keeping the four, first four commandments. Well, how do we keep the first four commandments? commandments if we do not gather together to worship God. It just doesn't happen. That's right. Um, 
and, and it doesn't happen because God said it must happen. He's told us we must gather. He's told us what must happen when we gather. And, and what we've said, in, in what, well, not us, I don't think you said it, but what we're hearing people say, ministers say is, well, if the government asks you nicely, then you got to listen to them, right. uh, regardless of what Jesus Christ has said about his own worship. That's right. This is a question I think pastors who say they need to obey the government need to answer for themselves. Um, you guys are both pastors, so I'm just going to put you both on the spot and ask you guys. So this week, a government official walks into your office um, of the church this week and says, you guys can stay open as long as you want. You can have as many people as you want, as long as you preach Calvinism and the gospel and you do it from the book of James. Um, all things that we would normally be happy to do and gladly would do, um, but because they're forcing you to do it, would you do it? I would say, no, thank you. <laughs> yeah, I think maybe I would pick, I would immediately pick another book, wouldn't you? I mean, yeah. if I wasn't right in the middle of James already, I, I think I would stop reading, re- preaching James and preach something else. Yeah, I wouldn't stop preaching Calvinism, but <laughs> I, uh, and this is, this point, is yeah, the then. point, right, is that there is a complete lack of understanding about, and you said this, the supremacy of Christ over his church. Yes, sir. He's the head of the church, period. Amen. Yeah. And this irreducible, this idea that all that's needed is, first of all, that we're allowed to go around saying, I'm a Christian, and as long as I'm allowed to share the gospel on their terms, I mean, it has to be on their terms, but if, as long as I'm still allowed to do those two things, anything else is game, and they're allowed to say no. That's madness. On that, on that basis, Daniel should never have prayed. That's right. Um, and uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego should have just gone along with the program because, as far as I know, in both cases, everyone was required to obey. In both cases, those men were still allowed to identify themselves whoever, however they wanted. Yeah, absolutely. So just to connect the dots there, I think that Chris is connecting is, at the end of the day, yes. Can Christians faithfully meet in homes in smaller groups? Yes, absolutely. None of us would say that the underground church in China has been unfaithful all these years. Absolutely. The difference is when the government comes in and says, this is how you shall run your church. That's the difference. So is there, I mean, it would be worth discussing why we have chosen, I mean, because that's part of the objection. I got the sense in this article, I've seen it in other articles, this idea that, well, why don't these people just meet in a home somewhere? Mm -hmm. Uh, Why are they being difficult? Why are they still gathering in that church building? So, yeah. So, so the first thing I would say, cause I've had several pastors, friends, friends of mine, brothers I love who have said, you know, you can just meet in homes, right? Like we don't have to be meeting in a building. And my, my initial, cause right now we're in lockdown in Ontario, like full blown lockdown, you know, you can't go into another person's house. And so I said, Oh, are you guys meeting in homes? Well, no, we're not doing anything right now. It's like, okay, yeah. well then, <laughs> then what are we even talking about here? Right? What we're talking about is the difference uh, between how you are resisting because either form of it is, is illegal. illegal. That's right. So, so I'll answer it. And then I, I'd love to hear your thoughts as well, Steve. We've thought through this and talked through this and prayed through this as elders as well. In my mind, I think there's, there's something that's beautiful about the, uh, the shepherd of a flock placing himself between the authorities who are acting in, in a tyrannical way and those under his care. So we're meeting at the church building because I and the other elders want to take the responsibility and take the the, the mm. burden of punishment. If we were to meet in other homes, we would want it to be in elders' homes, but the church size is such that we wouldn't fit in just eight living rooms. We'd have to get into more more houses than that. 
which is putting other people at risk. That's right. And as shepherds, we want to mitigate the risk for our congregants. We want to allow them a place of refuge to come. And so we want to take the burden of responsibility. We want to be the ones to get punished if it comes to that. Yeah, no, I completely agree. And the other thing I would add is that there is a place to to fight, right? There's uh, maybe third generation away. Maybe our kids will have to do these things differently. But right now, these things are not in the, the books. They're, they're not uh, written into law. That's right. And so if we won't fight now, it's game over already. So this is our chance to really stand with brothers who are standing and say, uh, no, you can't take these things from Christ. You can't take these things from his people. That's right. um, and, and maybe uh, in uh, 20 years, maybe a lot less, we will have to be in, in secret. But for now, we stand and fight. Yeah, I, I would agree. And we've talked a lot about that. There's, you know, in Matthew 10, it talks about if you're persecuted in one town, flee to the next. There is a theology of fleeing. There is a a theology of retreat. But certainly for us, as we pray and as we discern these things, as we try to understand the times in which we live, we don't think it's time to cut and run yet. We don't think it's time to go underground yet. I just, I, I think it's time to fight. No, that's right. And, and really 20 years as uh, I, I really ought to have said 20 days. I mean, the reality is, is that we're all on the very brink of having to yeah. do something. Uh, and right, right now, I mean, we fight for now, but uh, we may be underground in a matter of weeks. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And, and every good pastor who's thinking ahead has contingency plans for where they go if. But for now, we stay and we fight. And I do want to say as well, I think that the commands of Scripture are such that the people of God, the local churches, are, are to assemble in their entirety, right? So when you look at the Old Testament, first of all, God was not swayed by Pharaoh's suggestion that just the men can go and worship, mm-hmm. right? Like God told Moses, go and tell Pharaoh, let my people come, assemble before me and worship me on the mountain in the wilderness. And Pharaoh said no. And eventually, after a few plagues, Pharaoh said, well, just take the men. God didn't want just the men. God wanted all of his people to come and assemble. That's always been the heart of God is Mm -hmm. all of my people. So then you get into the New Testament and you get the teaching of all of these household churches being set up. And people are quick to say, oh, they met in houses. Yeah, they met in houses, but their houses back then had very large outdoor courtyards. And that's where they met. This is why wealthy women like Lydia became such important people in the church. Wherever Paul went, it seemed like there was a wealthy woman who ended up housing the house church because they had these large properties. Anyway, then you get this teaching of Paul where he's saying like, an eye can't say to an ear, we have no need of you. Like when you start breaking up, inevitably you're losing an ear or you're losing a pinky or you're losing an eye, right? These are all, these are all members of the body and they're meant to all come together. And so I think that you do lose something when you start segregating the church. So yes, absolutely. Could we meet faithfully under persecution in home churches and break up our flocks? Yes. Is it ideal though? No, I don't think you can make a biblical argument for doing it. Yeah. And there's a way to do it too. I mean, in, in the um, ordinary course of things in the last, uh, how many, however many years, uh, we look back and we see that um, not every church has reached mega status. Uh, at a certain point, churches decide well, it's time for us to um, to divide. It's t- time for us to plant. That's yeah. what we do. So yeah. what we do is is at a certain point, whether we've reached the building capacity or we've decided uh, we're going to rebuild, but at a certain point, generally churches will say, okay, we're going to uh, plant another church. And that means we're going to need another pastor. We're going to need elders. There's order to it. Absolutely. And that's the way to do it. So yeah. I hear, yeah, certainly I hear a lot of people saying, well, why don't you guys go to small groups? Fair enough. Well, let's, tr- so let's plant some churches then. There has to be order to it. You can't just start turning people away. We, we don't just hand the church over to the uh, leadership by uh, whoever's available. Uh, yeah. There has to be order. 
Well, and, and the capacity limits are one of the more frustrating parts of some of these restrictions, because like, how do you tell somebody, you know, Jesus said, come to me all who are heavy burdened, hmm. not come to me the first 10% of all who are heavy burdened, right. right? Like at some point, those capacities are always turning somebody away. And Jesus had very harsh things to say about those who would turn people away from the kingdom, right? <laughs> Speaking of children, he says, better to have a millstone tied around your neck and thrown into the ocean than to, than to block any of these little ones to come to me. Well, we are all the children of God. So those are harsh words. Yeah. And I find it interesting, almost as a sort of, a, an almost a seal of God's approval that, um, when we were uh, went into lockdown and we found ourselves gathering in spite of that, gathering under risk of civil penalties, that we had a number of times where somebody would come in off of the street, essentially, somebody who wouldn't ordinarily come. And we don't see this a lot. In fact, it's very rare for us to have just drop-in guests at our church. But during this period, we have people coming in who have no knowledge at all of Jesus Christ and the gospel. That would not have happened, obviously, if uh, we had uh, uh, limited the number of people who could come in. We that's would have right. had to turn them away. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So I guess that makes me uh, want to transition here to uh, a, something I wanted to, I mean, I think some of what Ray said needed to be responded to. But I think beyond that, what I wanted to kind of talk a little bit about is just, um, you know, Chris said this really well when we were talking earlier. He said a lot of the faithful churches and pastors have been praying for revival for years. Hmm. And I guess it's it's our fear that so many and maybe it's not maybe it maybe it's an unwarranted fear. All the churches that God wants open during this time are open. But I think there's a lot of churches that are missing out on something special. And so you were just talking about, um, you know, being open during lockdown. What did your church experience when you guys were open in, I guess, defiance of the stay at home orders? We have um, found that um, in gathering during those periods, the, the worship has never been sweeter. The sense, well, first of all, no one is there who doesn't want to be there. People know in coming there's a price tag attached very potent, very likely. I mean, it's certainly not been the case. We haven't had fines yet handed out indiscriminately to the congregation, but uh, certainly they know that's a possibility. And so when they come, there's something uh, very different about the atmosphere. It's, it is precious. The worship has been like it's never been before. Generally, the preaching has been, with God's help, been better. It just seems that the Lord is at work in a way that is, is so precious. So I remember the last lockdown actually articulating this, saying, I didn't really want the lockdown to end. Right. And it's been a mix. It's up and down. I'm sure you've had the ups and downs as well. I mean, there's the issue with the civil authorities, which is obviously a bit of a weight. But then, of course, the, the criticisms from the, the church. For us, anyway, the experience has been very much like we've been praying for. We have seen, even the other night, in gathering together, a group of us. Mm -hmm. um, that was great. Precious, precious yeah. time of prayer and worship together. Yeah, it was. I would echo all those things as well. I think we've seen, it's not about numerical growth, but we have seen numerical growth like I haven't seen in my previous many years of ministry. And I don't say that as saying, oh, isn't it great to have a full church, but the people who are coming, and I think the immediate assumption is that all the people who are at the anti-mask rallies are the same people congregating and filling up churches that are open right now. And that's just not the case. It's mm. not It's not a freedom rally atmosphere at our no. church on Sunday mornings. People are there to worship Jesus. People are there because he is worthy. People are there because they've counted the cost. And the people who are coming, I mean, they're broken people who need 
the body, people who have not hugged loved ones in a year, mm. people who, who come in and lockdowns have weighed very, very heavily on them because of domestic abuse, because of substance abuse, because of depression and anxiety and fear. And these people are coming in and finding refuge, finding rest for their souls. It's a beautiful thing. I can't tell you how many people who come in for the first time. I was going to ask you about that. And and they come in and they just start crying. Uh, so, they, yeah. they, they watch people hugging and they watch children playing together and they just start crying. Yeah. I was going to ask because I assumed that you had the same experience. We've Absolutely. seen the same thing. Yeah. Uh, just um, uh, people who, uh, who have been missing, it's like you said, on one hand, the fellowship, the normalcy of it, and then the worship of God. I mean, they yeah. have longed for that. Yeah. Uh, and so people at times are just overcome. Absolutely. And yeah. the singing. The singing yeah. is just so then It's awesome. never been better, right? Yeah. yeah. It's it's like I'm waiting for the roof to crumble. You know, it's just, it's so good. Wouldn't you say, Chris? Yeah. Uh, as a worship guy, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I, I just want to touch on that. I think the idea, like, I'm not a pastor, so I see it, like, from in the congregation. And, like, you can feel the spirit of just love that people have when they come in particularly since the measures have gotten harsher and harsher. It almost seems like the joy of gathering together gets increased every single week. Every Monday or Tuesday, I get texts from people being like, how great was Sunday? I can't wait to do that again, simply because every week seems better and better. I think there's something really dynamic that's happening with that because the measures that are being put in place by our government are stay at home, stay away from people, don't hug your loved ones, don't be in community, which is all anti-gospel. So like we're created to be a people together. We're created to be in fellowship together. We're created to be in community. We're created to gather. We're created to sing. We're created to like be in each other's lives. And so I think we see when people have gone away, because we have members of our church who have stayed away and then come back since we've been open. And they're, they, like you said, Nate, they break down in tears. They're overcome with the joy that, that it is to meet together because the government restrictions are keeping us from living the way we're designed to live. God has created us in these ways. And then so when they come back to church, all of a sudden their soul, one, is in line with obedience to God, but two, simply like on a functional level is doing what it's designed to do. And I think that just like overwhelms people. We should do a whole podcast on that one time, because I do think that these measures are kind of a two pronged attack. It's an attack on how God made the world. And it's an attack on the image of God in the soul of man, right? Like, so these restrictions, they, they cover our faces, right? Our faces reflect the image of God. Mm. These restrictions keep us out of community while we serve a triune God who is a God of community, right? It keeps us from being hospitable, right? Being together, incarnationally mm. together with other people. Like it denies all these fundamental tenets of our faith, which is what you were saying, Chris. And like, it is such an attack on the, the heart of the gospel and the heart of the Christian faith. I don't think people realize that when they when they say, oh, it's just temporary. These are sacrifices we can make. I, I don't think that they understand how deep our need for socialization and fellowship and hospitality and, and singing goes. You know, I think often of what people are saying, for example, often on the Christian side of the argument is we want to be like Jesus. And there's no question we're called to walk as Jesus walked. But then I read the Gospels and I see how Jesus walked and how he interacted and I find him, apart from occasional seasons where he got away to be alone to pray, I find him among people. Yeah. And they're allowed access to him. They're thronging around him, pressing in upon him, touching him. Yep. And whether it were diseases then as there are now. I mean, the, the, the reality is, is that you cannot walk like Jesus walked 
and not be among people and not Absolutely. be touching them and not yeah. be in every aspect of their life. I think that you're, you're right. And you've touched on, a, I think, a massive issue that in order for us to comply, it's not just about Sunday. The, the whole of the Christian life is on hold right now for a lot of Christians. Yeah, yeah. And there's no such thing as standing still in the Christian faith, which means by the time they, they I'm going to do scare quotes here, but like come back to practicing their Christian faith, they're going to find that they've slidden far away from God. Mm-hmm. That's right. What did you want to say, Chris? I was just going to basically say less articulately what Steve said. So, <laughs> uh, um, but I just, I just think there's also like the idea of, I'm just going to shame everybody who isn't open at the moment now, I guess. Um, but like the idea of like, we keep getting told worthy unloving ones for being, being open. And just from our conversation, it just dawned on me, like the actual unloving, loving thing is to deny people all these, all those things that we've that we've Absolutely. done. The unloving thing from Jesus would have been to avoid the lepers. Yeah. You know and I mean, like, don't even though them. everybody else would have been like, yeah, of course you don't touch diseased people. Um, but he did the opposite. As Steve was saying, he went and he was there. He was with the people. Even at sometimes, there's a couple of times in scripture where you read that he's weary and tired, but he was still in the mix. Pastors should examine themselves. Elders of churches should examine themselves. Parishioners who aren't attending a church that's open should examine themselves right now because the harm of being closed is far greater than the harm that the virus is doing. Totally. I don't want to get into a whole like percentages and all this stuff, but like just look around the world and the hurt and the brokenness and the one place that has the answer to man's biggest problem, which is how to be right with God is closed. That doesn't make any sense to me. And so I just also want to just say one other thing, cause I didn't get a chance earlier. The argument for people saying the house church fulfills the same the same role fails just from the simple fact that people who are arguing that are always the people who have no house church open and so like, right. like, exactly. it's one of those things, like if they believe that was the case they would have a house church open exactly and the simple fact is they're not and then like at the end of the day doing like 50 different services kills your volunteers so let's be loving to them as well <laughs> <laughs> well uh steve started flipping through his bible so when a pastor does that you you know stop talking and yeah right yeah no i was just uh, i mean the passage i think that this generation has forgotten and it happens every generation there's texts that we seem to either forget or we uh we just don't pay any attention to and, and matthew 16 of course peter's rebuked because he wants to spare Jesus' life. He loves him hmm. and he wants to spare his life. And Jesus' answer to him is an answer, I think, that the church of Christ could hear now. He says, get thee behind me, Satan. Thou art an offense unto me, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. And then he went on to say, for whosoever will save his life shall lose it. And whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. So maybe the church would be a lot better off if we remembered that our business is not to save lives, rather to lose them. And then from there, uh, we will gain. But if we try to save our lives and as the church is trying to save their lives and the lives of others, they're going to lose them in the end. Yeah. That's a great place to, to mic drop this one because essentially anybody who's arguing for churches to close and the mission of Christ to be put on hold in order to save lives, it seems Jesus' response would be, get thee behind me, Satan. That's right. That's a heavy rebuke. Hmm. So, all righty, Pudi, do you want to have the uh, the last word here and sign us off? Thanks for being here, Steve. Uh, thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks, thanks a ton for being here, Steve. Thank you for being faithful as well, uh, both of you, but uh, particularly Steve, because you're a guest. We are the Rebels. Thank you for listening. And you can find us on the Fight Laugh East Canada Network. Have a great one, guys. Cheers. If serving you's against the law of man, 
Be guilty. 